So tonight, our, uh, we'll be in Isaiah 53, uh, mainly in, in verses 10 through 12. So you can go ahead and turn there, and I would encourage you to turn there tonight. We will have it on, on the screen here, but we'll be referring back to it, and we'll read a, uh, a longer passage in Isaiah 54 later that won't be on the screen, so you'll want to have that in front of you. Um, but as we begin tonight, you know, I've always been fascinated by these seeds, I, I did not learn until tonight uh, that these are maple seeds. I, I know. I'm, I'm, you call me dumb. I, I'll take it. Um, you didn't know that either? Okay. Yeah, we, but you're not from around here. Um, so, so, you know, always been fascinated by these little seeds. I mean, they're great, right? Oh. It's okay. Joe brought me more than one. So let's try again. I need the wind. Amazing, right? Have you ever looked at a seed? These, these seeds are very glorious, but most seeds are just pretty ordinary. I mean, you can, you can barely see them. I mean, it just wouldn't seem like a big deal to just, you know, just get rid of them. But um, do you ever look at a seed and think about its potential and wonder how many trees might come from this seed? How many generations of fruitfulness might come from this seed? But how does it, how does it achieve its potential? By dying, by going into the ground and being crushed. Being crushed where, where no one sees it, crushed in, in obscurity. And you don't even know if it's working while it's down there, right? But and, and some seeds, you know, have to stay down there for years before they start to bear fruit. But it, this is what Jesus said about seeds, about his own death, about his own life. John 12, he said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. So, I mean, if I just take this seed and I just play with it and twirl it around and it never goes into the ground, what good is it, right? It can just be easily discarded with. But if it dies, if it is crushed, if it is broken open, it bears much fruit. Jesus was crushed like a seed in his death. Jesus was laid into the ground. But think about, oh, what effects since that seed has risen up from the ground. Let's read Isaiah 53 of Jesus' death here. Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see. And, he, and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to see tonight. 
Help us to see the glory of your, of your death. Thank you, Jesus, that you were crushed on our behalf, that you might bear fruit of more seeds, of more children, of sons and daughters for the living God. We come as your children. We ask that you would teach us tonight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we, um, we've been going through Isaiah uh, 53 um, in, this, in this holy season, celebra- celebrating uh, Resurrection Day here recently, um, wrapping it up tonight, as, you, as we look back at last week's passage, you can look there in your copy of the Scriptures, where we left hanging off is in verse 9, it said that Jesus had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. In other words, he had done nothing wrong. So then why did he die the gruesome death that he did? Because it was God's plan. What what was God's plan? It was God's plan to make Jesus a guilt offering. And and the guilt offering was a, um, you can read about this in Leviticus 5, 14 through 6, 7. If you're taking notes, I'll say that again, Leviticus 5, 14 through 6, 7. You can read on this later. But but the guilt offering uh, worked like this. Um, I don't know if Dale's here tonight, but I was thinking about uh, Dale the other day, um, or yesterday as I was preparing the sermon and just listening to people mow the yard outside. And, and um, after some uh, friendly, uh, competitive uh, gathering of bids, uh, uh, I, I got Dale to come and, and, uh, and uh, mow the yard for me. And I was just thinking about what if, you know, we just moved into a new house, haven't had a chance to buy, buy a mower yet. The grass is not waiting on me. It's, it's growing high. The weeds are getting high. And so um, what if I take, what if I were to go and to steal Dale's nice mower? He probably wouldn't be too, too happy about that, would he? Okay? Huh? But I could drive on that zero turn. I mean, I could get, get away pretty well. But, you know, and he comes, at, he jukes for me and, the, you know. But anyway, so it would probably damage the relationship, right? It would hurt the relationship between me and Dale. Well, the guilt offering was one that, that um, what I would have to do, let's say if I had, I had offended Dale in this way, I would have to make an offering. I'd have to bring a, a pure spotless lamb, a, a, a precious animal, a, a animal without blemish. I'd have to make an offering for my sin before the Lord. All right, and then I would have to make restitution. Restitution. I would have to get Dale a new, give his mower back. But actually, with the guilt offering, you had to do 20% over restitution. So out of that, Dale just got him a nice new mower. Okay. Do you think that would reconnect the relationship? Okay. I, I think Dale's probably more generous than that. I think if I bought him a brand new mower, um, then I, I think that you know that would you know reconnect the relationship between us. And so with the guilt offering, it doesn't just remove the penalty, but it makes things right and good with the other party. And that's what God does with Jesus through the guilt offering. He doesn't just remove our penalty, but he also makes restitution and he restores us to the relationship of of sons and daughters of of the Father. And so two things uh, that that God does with been making Jesus a guilt offering, is first of all, he justifies us. He justifies us. And justify, one of those um, big theological words we use a lot, it just means simply to declare just. God declares us just through Jesus. He, he declares us as having never done anything wrong. Now, how, how can that be? 
How can that be when we are clearly guilty, when we are guilty of not loving the Lord with our whole hearts, when we are guilty of not loving our neighbor as ourselves, when we are guilty of having bad attitudes toward our parents, bad attitudes towards our bosses, when we've lusted, when we've gossiped, when we've coveted and, and longed for that which we, we don't have, uh, we've, we've grumbled, we've been ungrateful and discontent, and we've simply been disobedient to the Lord. How can he clear away? How can he declare us not guilty when we're clearly guilty? In verse 11 it says, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. By his knowledge. This is an experiential knowledge. This is by Jesus' experience of grief at the hand of the Lord. Um, He experienced that which we deserve. He bore our iniquities, the scripture says here. He was numbered with the transgressors. He was counted as one of us, and he bore the sin of many. But he was righteous. It calls him, in verse 11 here, it says, calls him the righteous one. And so he is able to absorb our unrighteousness into himself. And that's why he did not stay dead. Because the scripture says that the penalty for sin is death, and Jesus had never sinned, and so he didn't deserve to die. And he raises again to to new life on the third day uh, for our justification, to declare us just, to account us as righteous. God is a just judge, and he cannot simply forgive and let us go without payment. That would be unjust. Instead, what he does is he, he accounts our record of sins to Jesus. He accounts our sinful, dirty, filthy record, shameful record to Jesus. He accounts it as his record. And then he accounts Jesus' clean record as our record. In effect, God absorbs his justice into himself. Somebody has to pay, and God pays it. God pays it. And not only that, you know, as a good offering, not only is he removing the penalty, but he reconnects the relationship, and Jesus shares his inheritance with us. He shares his inheritance with us. This is implicit in the idea of God not merely declaring us not guilty, but, but calling us righteous. God is calling us good. He reconnects the relationship. We were created to walk with God. You see that in the Genesis account, that, that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day, it said. And Adam and Eve, had they were created to know God and to enjoy God, to have fellowship with God. That's why God created us. He didn't create us because he was lonely. He, cre- he created us because he's a God of love and he wanted to share himself with us. He wanted to share his glory with us. He wanted us to know him and, and to enjoy him. But... We lost that in the garden. The penalty of sin is is death, and it includes a spiritual death, a separation from God. And when Adam and Eve, when they sinned, when they ate the forbidden fruit, they were cast out of the presence of the Lord. And we have inherited that separation from Adam. We've inherited that sin nature. But Jesus comes to share his inheritance He first removes our guilt, declares us just, and then shares his inheritance as a son with us. 
and makes us to be sons also. Um, look at verse, verse 12. It says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Uh, this is the image here of a, of a conqueror who is sharing his victory, sharing in the, in the spoils of his victory with his allies. Now, we, are, we were not his allies. We were his enemies, right? We were the rebels. And, but Jesus dies for the rebels to make the rebels his, his allies. Jesus, and and, and what, what is this spoil? What is it that Jesus has won that he is sharing with us? He has won the kingdom. He has won eternal glory and honor. He has won eternal life. He has won the right to reign forever, and he shares that with us. He shares it all with us. Look at the uh, middle of verse 10. We'll, we'll see three, uh, furthermore, three results uh, of, of, of when Jesus was made a guilt offering. It says, When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Uh, the first result of Jesus being made a guilt offering is that he multiplies offspring. He multiplied offspring. You know, it was a shameful thing for a person in Hebrew culture to die without any children, to die without any descendants. And it seemed that Jesus had died that shameful death. But out of the anguish of his soul, he sees and he, he is satisfied because he knows that he is going into the ground like that seed and that he is multiplying offspring. Uh, this word for offspring is literally seed. Uh, you know, as, as Jesus said, uh, John 12 again, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Think about this seed going into the ground. It's crushed, it's broken open, and then it, um, after some, some time, new life rises up out of the ground. Okay? So that's, it says Jesus was the first fruits. And um, as he created a, a generation of, of followers, they gave their lives. They, they didn't just... Many of them gave their blood. I mean, they, they died as martyrs, but they gave their lives every day, humbly serving, humbly following Jesus, suffering persecution at the hands of the world. And as they gave themselves, as they were crushed, they raised up more seeds. They, they bore fruit and, and, and just generations and generations of, of seeds and trees and seeds and trees and seeds and trees. And the kingdom has multiplied. Because Jesus died and rose again, and because many men and women, we should thank God for the church, many men and women have gone before us and have given their lives so that we could, be, we could receive the word, we could receive the seed, and we could become seeds ourselves. And so Jesus multiplied offspring in what he did, and he's still doing it. Um, second result, he rose to live forever. It says here he prolongs his days. As, as I said before, Jesus did not deserve to die, so death had no just claim on him. It, it could not keep a good man down, as, as the Alabama song says. But instead, he, he rose to reign forever as king, and God has highly exalted him for his obedience. 
The third result is that he obtained the ability to execute God's plan. Jesus obtained the ability to execute God's plan. You can turn to Revelation 5 or you can follow along on the screen, but I'm just going to let the scripture explain what, what I mean by this, that he obtained the ability to execute God's plan. As we see in, in Revelation 5, the curtain pulled back from heaven, us, us having a behind-the-scenes look at what's going on. Um, John says he saw this. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the, scri- the scroll and to break its seals? In other words, is there one who, who is able, is there one who is worthy to, to, to be able to open the scroll, to open this secret agenda of God's plan and to, to accomplish God's plan? Is there one able to take God's plan and to unveil it, to, to make it happen? And John here senses the desperation of the moment. Verse 3, it says, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, Jesus, and as though, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. And what what makes him worthy? Listen here. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and, and people and nation, winning children to the Lord, multiplying offspring. And it says, And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And that's Jesus sharing his inheritance with with us. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Worthy is Jesus. Jesus alone is able to accomplish this plan to make many sons and daughters for the Lord. And as we go back to to Isaiah 53, we see that this was and is to the satisfaction of the Father and to the satisfaction of the Son. This was and is to the satisfaction of the Father 
and to the satisfaction of the Son. It pleased the Father and the Son jointly to accomplish this plan. And we see this pleasure, this delight of the Lord uh, to make us His in Isaiah 53. As, as you look again at verse 10, it says, It was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus. It was the will of the Lord. And this, this word will, you can, you can look this up, it literally means it was his delight. It was his good pleasure to crush Jesus. Why would it delight the Father to crush his Son whom he loves? To accomplish this plan of making us his. To create many children for himself in the image of his beloved Son. And to highly exalt his Son as King above all. It delighted the Lord to crush His Son so that He might show us the great depths of His love for us in a way that we wouldn't even know if He'd merely created us. He shows us His great love. He shows us His great wisdom. And He glorifies His name. And He gives us great joy in that glory. And you see also the delight of the Son. You see in verse 11 it says again, Out of the anguish of His soul... He shall see and be satisfied. He shall see and be satisfied. Now, it's a common charge nowadays from a a modern heresy known as progressive Christianity to to allege that that the father offering up his son was some sort of cosmic child abuse. And I'll just be frank with you. That's a charge made by people who simply do not know how to read the Scriptures. For one, uh, Jesus and the Father are one. He is, he, God is, is one being in three persons. He is in complete harmony. Uh, God, the Lord, is one. Uh, but also, uh, you can just simply read the Bible. And in, in John uh, 10, 18, Jesus said, it's up on the screen, He said, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. Uh, this charge I've received from my father. He, he receives this command from his father. And because he and his father are one, he says later in, 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 in John 10, that this is his great delight to do the father's will. This is his great delight to win a people for the Lord. To win a kingdom to give back to his, to his father. Jesus says in another place, in, at the end of, of, of John 14, he says that, that I, 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 do, I go to the cross so that the world may know that I love the Father. That the, Father, that the world may know that the Father is worth giving everything for. That He is worth obeying. That He is that enjoyable. That He is worth knowing and worth dying for. Pleases Jesus to do this. For us, it pleases Jesus to do this as an act of worship for his Father. This is the, the great, eternal, joyful plan of the Lord to make us his, to make sinners his children. And I don't know about you guys, but when I see Scripture that speaks of the heart of God, when I see that it is his pleasure, that it, as Ephesians said, this is what God wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure to share all of this with us at the cost of his life. Uh, I, I love seeing uh, in, in, in the Trinity that, um, 
You know, God, again, didn't create us out of an act of loneliness. He's not a single person God. He didn't need fellowship. But God created us and God redeems us out of his fullness. Delighting, wanting to share that which he has enjoyed for all eternity. And so how do we, how do we respond? How do we respond to all of this? Well, Isaiah 54 and 55 Give us that response. We'll, we'll buckle your seatbelts because we'll, we'll hit this hard and fast. But, but in response, it, Scripture says, Sing. We sing. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be no more than the children. The children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married. We who have not been fruitful for God, we who have failed to do great things for God, he says, sing, because fruit, fruitfulness is coming from you. And he, said, and he invites us to partner with him in his great commission. And we, we partner with him as his bride. Um, it, it, this passage speaks of us both as, um, as children in one place, and it mixes a metaphor and speaks of us as, as the bride of Christ here. Um, you know, we're no longer, to sum up Romans 7, we're no longer doing this life on our own. We're not trying to, to, to please the Lord and earn His favor, but we've been, uh, you know, and when we do that, our, our flesh nature take, takes over and we only sin further. But instead, we have, um, the Lord has been satisfied uh, by what Jesus has done, and, and we have God's favor given to us. And now it's just an invitation to walk with Him and to partner with Him and to bear fruit together with him. So second, if you could uh, go for that. We sing, we partner with, with Christ, and, and, and thirdly, we, we make room for more children. Um, verse, verse, verses 2 and 3, enlarge the place of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. Uh, we, in, in response, we make room for more children to come into the family. We are to labor expectantly. We labor expectantly like, like gardeners, planting seeds, sharing the word, sharing the love of Christ with people, expecting God to bring fruitfulness from this. And, and, and part of the way that we do that is we give ourselves as seeds. Um, Last time, John, John 12, he, you know, Jesus, after he, um, if you can give that to us on the screen, brother, um, after, after it says that Jesus, speaking of himself as this, this grain of, of wheat that goes in, into the ground, notice what he says right after that. And this, this is the challenge that he's given to us in verse 25. He says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. As Tim is fond of saying, that the path to greatness in the kingdom is humble service. It's not just a giving ourselves to the Lord. It's not just a, a dying to self as a, as a one act, but it, we, we're called to die to ourselves every day. Um, to humbly serve, to be willing to suffer public shame and persecution. And as that seed is broken open, 
It's green. I didn't expect that, but that's beautiful. The life uh, comes forward. Um, yeah, I don't get out of the house much. But um, anyway, uh, <laughs> back to Isaiah 54. Uh, we we also in response we throw off our shame. We throw off our shame. Read with me verses four through eight if you have your Bibles open. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth, and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your Maker is your husband, and the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. We have great reason for shame in our record, but, but Jesus has taken those dirty soiled clothes and he has bestowed on, his, on us his white garments, his white garments of, of pure, spotless righteousness. We have been giving as a church a wedding gown and, and, and invited to come to the Lord with shame no more, with no hesitation, coming before the Lord, no more shame. And um, six, we settle in in confident peace. We settle in in confident peace. Um, not, verse nine through the end of the chapter. This is like the days of Noah to me as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate, and your, your gates of carbuncles, and all your wall of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. And it doesn't mean bad things don't happen to us, but listen to us, listen to what it says when when terror uh, tries to come against us. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. We are established in peace. We have peace with God, and nothing, nothing can, can fail us. Nothing can, can knock us down. Everything that comes against us, even persecution, is for our good, says the Lord. And the last way to respond is that we come. We come and we be satisfied. Again, Isaiah 55, verse, three verses. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money. Come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? 
Listen diligently to me, Christ says, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Just as Andrew explained uh, so succinctly, there's no satisfaction apart from Christ. Christ is who your soul was made for. What keeps you back? What, what keeps you from coming to Him today? I'll close with um, these, the words of a, a, a modern poet named Bear. Um, he says, Give me your heart. Give me your song. Sing it with all your might. Come to the fountain, and you can be satisfied. There is a peace. There is a love. You can get lost inside. Come to the fountain, and let me hear you testify. You testify that the Lord is good. Have you tasted of the fountain and seen that the Lord is good? Yes, I just quoted Need to Breathe. Okay? Like he was a poet. Come. Do what holds you back from coming and enjoying that which you didn't pay for, but the feast has been laid before you. You can come tonight. If you don't, if you need to do business with the Lord, you can come before this altar. You can, you can come and, and speak to me. You can come and speak to the friend who brought you. You can you can. Just bow humbly in your heart and go to the Lord. He is a God who will have great compassion, who will abundantly pardon. He is a God who says, come. I want to give you my kingdom. Let's pray. Lord God, how great are you? How generous are you? How effulgent, how full, how... Man... Can words do you justice? Lord, let us come and let us sing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.